the series is called Stinking Thinking. Stinking Thinking. And that is a spiritual term. I'm not talking physically. So if the person next to you has some odor, it is not about that at all. Stinking Thinking. And the title of part one, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. If you're not taking notes, you can still write it down. The title of part one is this, The Power of a Thought. The Power of a Single Little itty bitty thought. Our mind is like a house, a brick home in which um, I guess you could say our brain lives in. And every brick that is part of this home represents a thought that we think. If these bricks surrounding the home of our mind are filled with thoughts from God's word, like I can do all things through Christ, like he that began a good work in me will finish it until the day it's completed, like um, his favor surrounds me like a shield, um, like I am the apple of God's eye. If we have bricks surrounding the home of our mind from God's word, we will easily step into our divine destiny and walk the path that God has for us. If the bricks that are surrounding the home of our mind are filled with enemies, me bricks, such as nobody likes me, or I'll never be able to break this addiction, or I'll never be able to lose weight, or there's no hope for my future to get any better. If our mind is filled with bricks from the enemy, then we will very easily step into the path that the Satan has lined up for us, and we will not fulfill the God-given divine destiny that God has. Uh, A memory verse for this series, the scripture that you'll probably hear every single week, is Proverbs 23, 7. It says, as a man thinks, so he will become. Let me show you why this scripture is good and bad. It's bad because it doesn't say, as God thinks about us, so we will become. It's bad scripture because it doesn't say, as your pastor thinks about you, because I love you guys, I think y'all are awesome, I think you're going to fulfill your destiny, but it doesn't say, as your pastor thinks about you, so you will become. Here's why it's a good news scripture. It's good news because it doesn't say, as the devil thinks about you, so you will become. It doesn't say, as your parents think about you, so you will become. It doesn't say, as your enemy thinks about you, so you will become. The scripture says, as you think about you, whatever you have in the bricks surrounding the house of your mind determines what your future holds and what you will become. I cannot put these bricks in the home of your mind for you. You have to choose to do it. God in his great omnipotent power cannot put the bricks inside of the house of your mind for you. You have to choose what it is you're going to think about and what it is you're going to dwell on. If you want to change your life, you have to change the bricks that are surrounding the home of your mind. It's completely and totally up to you. So today I'm going to give you three points on how to tear down the old homes and rebuild the new ones in your mind. Three points, and I want you to write these down because you remember 70% of what you write down more than what you hear. Number one is this, recognize. You have to recognize where did this thought originate from? Where did this thought come from? Did this thought come from my parents? Did this thought come from someone who said something mean to me in fourth grade? Did this thought come from my boss who's always irritated with everybody? Or did this thought come from God? Where is the origin of this thought? In other words, think about what you're thinking about. Take inventory of what's going on in your mind. What do you think about when you first wake up in the morning? Recognize where did that first thought come from? That first thought that says, man, today is going to be a bad day. That first thought that says, I can't stand my job. I hate even going to work. Where did that first thought come from? Let me ask you this. What thoughts are you thinking before you go to bed at night? 
recognize what's the source of those thoughts. What thoughts are you thinking when you come into church on Sunday morning? Is the thoughts in your mind, man, the music's going to be too loud? Is the preacher's going to be too long? He's way too handsome? Like, what is it that you're thinking about in your mind? Are you thinking, God, if the music's too loud, I believe in your power, you're going to soften my ears. God, if the paint's too dark, I believe that you're going to shine a light so I can see. God, I'm not here. That was, God, I'm not here to honor myself. I'm not here to show off. I am here to give you praise and glory. What thoughts are you thinking? Recognize where they're coming from. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. They ate the fruit they weren't supposed to. And out of fear, they were now hiding from the lover of the universe, the lover of their soul, the one that created it all. They're hiding from God. So God's searching around. He's calling out to them. And whenever he found them, he said, why are you hiding from me? In Genesis 3 verse 10, here's what they said. I was afraid because I was naked. The first words that came out of God's mouth in response to that statement was the very next scripture in verse 11. He very boldly asked them, who told you that? In other words, who told you there was something wrong with you? Who told you that you needed to hide from me? Who told you you should fear coming to me? Who told you you've done something? Who's been speaking to you? Here's what God was saying. I know the enemy's been here. That brick that you're thinking, that did not come from me. That brick did not originate from our relationship. Where did that come from? It came from the devil. Where is he? I know he's been here. Who told you that? It didn't come from Eve. It didn't come from me. So there was another entity. There was another person here. Where did that thought come from? And I believe every single one of us in here have some kind of bricks that we know did not come from God. We have to recognize those bricks. Find those bricks in the house surrounding your mind. Years ago, I was watching a, a documentary on the History Channel, and it was talking about this thief. <clears throat> he was a brilliant thief. His strategies were totally amazing. He burglarized homes for over 21 years. He eluded the most brilliant detectives in the world. Every time the police thought they were getting a hold of his pattern, he would switch and, and he would totally fool them. They brought in the best minds around the world to try to find this thief, to try to catch him. But he eluded them. He always was able to outdo them. He, he, he stole millions and millions of dollars worth of money, worth of things, worth of, worth of valuables. And so finally, one day after 21 years, there was a very fluke incident. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything, you know, that was major, but somehow they caught him. When the detectives caught this thief, they were amazed at what he looked like. He was wearing a suit. He was very clean cut, very clean shaven. He was very polite. He didn't try to run. He didn't put up a fight. He was very calm, very peaceful. They put him in prison, and this particular show that I was watching went and did a story on him. And the reporters asked him this question. They said, you outsmarted the most brilliant detectives for 21 years. With all of your skill and expertise, why did you choose a life of crime? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, when I was young, my father told me I'd never amount to anything. I thought about that so many times over the years, and I guess I believed him. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, my father gave me a brick when I was younger, and I put it in the home of my mind, and I've been dwelling on it ever since. He didn't realize what I'm telling you that you don't need to live in the house that was made by your parents. You don't need to live in the house that was made by your boss. You don't need to live in the house that was made by your spouse. You get to choose what bricks you put in the home of your mind. 
right before the flood in Genesis 6 verse 5, it says that every imagination and thought of mankind was evil continually. Six scriptures later, it says in verse 11, everyone was terribly cruel and the earth was filled with violence. Listen, being violent was not their problem. Being cruel was not their problem. Their problem was in verse 5 where they could not control their imagination. And the same thing in your life. The, the, the actions that you're doing, that's not your problem. The actions that you know you shouldn't be doing, that's not the things you're looking at, that's not your problem. The things you're doing, the places you're going, the people you're hanging out with, that's not your problem. Your problem is you're not able to control the bricks that are in the home of your mind. You're not controlling your imagination. If our thoughts come from the wrong source, it's going to produce the wrong things. Listen, you know how powerful your mind is. Our mind is like a Steven Spielberg movie. You can get in a fight with your spouse over something so small and insignificant, but if you choose to keep dwelling on it and you take that brick and place it in your home, three days later you'll be screaming about divorce. And you won't even remember what the fight was about in the beginning. You watch the news and see some child got kidnapped somewhere. For the next three weeks, you're living in fear. You are so upset you can't even sleep at night wondering if your child's going to be kidnapped. You see that someone else lost their job and the enemy puts that little brick in your home and you hold on to it and you think you're going to lose your job and you're ready to sell your house and move somewhere else. You get a bad report from the doctor and you hadn't even gone to get a second opinion, hadn't looked at medicine, hadn't looked at anything else, hadn't even come to church, hadn't prayed about it and you're already visualizing your funeral. And who's going to be there? Am I right? This is exactly how our mind works. Um, years ago, whenever we were... Um, renovating this building we bought it back in 2012 and we had a church work day every weekend it was a different it was a church work day and we're out there working and um there's two things that I'm really um anxious about I guess you would say one is paper cuts and another one is splinters I don't like paper cuts I don't like splinters and paper cuts is a long story but I watched something that I shouldn't have watched when I was a, a teenager and it was about these people giving each other paper cuts and since then I had like nightmares about paper cuts. so I don't like paper cuts and if you notice I don't like to touch paper unless it's got plastic around it or stuff like that but the other thing is splinters I can't stand splinters um I, I, I'm very manly but I use my hands to play piano like all oh, that's where I did as, a, as my job before I pastored so anyway we're having the church work day and I'm working hard and everything and then all of a sudden I feel a little bit of pain and I look down and there's a big old black um, thing in my hand and it's a splinter and I think I'm about to die and I can just feel my hands getting numb and I know if I leave church you know for for that then people are going to stop working because if a lot of times if the leader's not there people just kind of go slow and give up but I had to be there to motivate everybody so I mean I can't leave in my hand and about that time I hear one of my sons scream my son Zach at the time was like 13 12 years old he was using a sledgehammer on the other side of the church doing something and he missed what he was hitting and he hit himself in the leg with a sledgehammer and his leg is swelling up incredibly fast and he's about to pass out literally and so I, I pick him up and I grab him and I tell everybody I'm going to the emergency room with my son so then in my head I'm thinking and I'm gonna get them to check out my splinter whenever we get there so I put Zach in the car and he's and he's he's literally he can't even cry he's in so much pain he, he doesn't have the breath to even breathe and he's saying dad pray and I'm praying he's like no pray in tongues pray in tongues I'm praying in tongues I'm doing everything because he's just hurting so bad and I'm gonna get my splinter checked out and so we get to the emergency room we get to the emergency room and um you know I carry him inside and oh my son's hurting his legs getting bigger and bigger and he's, he's in pain and the doctors and I don't want to I don't have insurance so I didn't want to check in for my splinter because I don't have to pay a lot of money so I think in my head after we get back there I'm going to ask one of the doctors or nurses to check on my splinter. So now Zach's 
about the point where now he's able to scream in pain. He's getting his breath back. So he's screaming and screaming and they're doing the thing. And I can't help but be feeling my arms getting numb. And I feel like something bad's about to happen. Maybe I'm going to get gangrene or something. I don't know. And so my mind's just playing this, like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. So finally they calm him down. They put needles in him and do whatever they're doing. And so I'm like, I, I tell them, I, nurse, I said, ma'am, I need your help bad. And she says, what? I said, I have a splinter in my hand. I need y'all to check it out. So she said, okay. So she goes and gets, you know, the glasses and she gets the, the tweezers and all. And I'm just like this, oh my God, oh my God. And she says, where's the splinter? And I said, you don't see it? See that black thing there? <laughs> and earlier that day, I was messing with a permanent marker outside. I was drawing some stuff. <laughs> and it slipped, I guess, and made a mark on my hand. And that doggone thing was a, a mark from a marker and it wasn't even a splinter. <laughs> And after she told me that, it's funny, my hand started feeling better after I was on a splinter. But listen, y'all, y'all are all laughing at me, but let me tell you the truth. Listen, every, listen. Stop laughing and listen. Every one of y'all are like that. Don't you laugh at me because y'all do the same thing. It might not be with a splinter, but whatever your fear is or whatever your worry is, you know it starts off like a little dot with a permanent marker and by the time you're done thinking about it you're in the emergency room begging somebody to pull that thing out we all face it recognize where did this thought come from and number two you have to reject it you have to reject the thought and you have to reject it. here's a very important word immediately immediately if you got home today and you saw a rattlesnake was in the center of your living room, you wouldn't say, I'm going to eat lunch, I'm going to watch the game, and I'll deal with that snake later. You know what you would do? You would immediately kick that rattlesnake out of your home. Here's why. Because your home's important to you. And something that is, that is violating your home, something that is very harmful, something that's very dangerous is in the middle of your home, and so you get that thing out. The home of your mind is more important than your physical home. And you need to see every thought that is not from God as a rattlesnake in the middle of your house. And if you do not kick that thing out right away, it'll get bigger and bigger and grow. And it'll destroy your life, I promise you. You end up doing things you never thought you'd do. You end up going places you never thought you'd go. You end up saying things you never thought you'd say. All because of one little teeny thought that did not come from God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, cast out every imagination that's not from God. That word cast out in the Greek means this, to kick out forcefully. That word cast in the original language that the Bible was written in, it means cast, it means to kick out forcefully. In other words, kick out forcefully, not sweetly, not calmly, not patiently and kindly. You kick that thing out immediately. Uh, there's a true story about a man named Carl Lewis. He's an Olympic gold medalist um, in the long jump. And whenever he was training for the Olympics, um, scientists did a bunch of studies on the human body, and they discovered that it's impossible for any human being to jump more than 30 feet long in the air. They ran all their calculations, they did all the studies, all the work, and they sure enough said it is scientifically, medically impossible for a person to jump more than 30 feet. One day some reporters were talking to Carl Lewis before he was going to go compete. And they said to him, they said, what do you think about all these things they're saying about how you can't jump that far? And here's what he said. I know the experts say it's impossible, but I don't listen to them because I don't want those thoughts slipping down to my feet. Here's the question I have for you. Have you allowed Satan to slip some thoughts down to your feet? Are you doing things think, how did I get to this place in life? And you can trace it back to the small little thought of a seed that the enemy planted in your mind. 
Here's what he was saying. He was saying, if I listen to them, if I let their brick get put in the home of my mind, it's going to cause me to go down paths that I don't want to go down. I'm going to go down paths that they say I'm going to go down, and I don't want that. I have um, a garden at my home, and it's an incredibly manly garden. There's hot peppers and stuff like that in there. But... (laughs) When I plant my garden, I don't plant these hot peppers and tomatoes, and then a few hours later, there's tomatoes and hot peppers everywhere. No, no, I always start with small. It's like a seed. You plant the seed, and then it, and, and over time, it builds and it grows and it grows. So here's, here's something I want to give you today is this. Don't let Satan plant a garden in your mind. I want you to see your mind as this, this beautiful, rich soil where anything can grow. God's Word can be planted, and it can grow bigger and bigger and do great things. But just the same way the enemy can plant a seed in your mind and it can grow and it can grow and it can grow and it can do very, very harmful things in your life. Never, 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 never think that the outcome is what Satan's going to tell you right now. This is a great point. Listen to this. In other words, with the the plants, tomatoes, listen, Satan never tells you, get a divorce tomorrow. He never says that. He starts with a small seed that has nothing to do with that, but he wants to see if you'll dwell on it. He starts with, you know, she irritates the mess out of you when da-da-da-da-da-da. You know that he's probably da-da-da-da-da-da. And he goes on and on and on. Satan never tells you to kill yourself. Never. He starts with, there's no hope for you, is there? You're never going to be happy again. God can't use you after what you did. It's a little thought. And he sees if you're going to let that be planted in the garden and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Satan never says, leave the church. Go find another church and then another one after that. No, he never does that. Here's what he says. That pastor offended you. Can you believe they said this? Can you believe they didn't ask you to pray for people? Can you believe, and on and on, that little seed gets planted. And we, as people with good soil, allow that root to take effect. And it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's an exaggeration. Exodus 33 verse 2. The Lord told Moses, you lead the people to the promised land that has milk and honey flowing. I'm going to send an angel to drive the ones that live there. Listen, listen, this is important, okay? Here's what God was saying. All you got to do is get to the promised land. Here's my part. Here's the brick that you need to take from my word and put it inside the home of your mind. I will drive out the enemy. God says, I will fight for you. I'll take care of this battle. It's not yours. I will drive out the enemy. So you don't need to think about the enemy. You don't need to worry about the enemy. You don't need to talk about the enemy. I got that. Your only job is to get to the location. That's all you got to do. Take the brick, put it in your mind, and that's it. So they get all the way to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. Moses sends 12 spies, everybody say 12, to go in the promised land, check it out, and come back and give a report, okay? 10 of the 12 come back, and in, in Numbers 13, 28, here's what they say. The people who live there are very large. Now, I find that people that are negative always say, I'm not being negative, I'm just telling the truth. They always say, they try to give an excuse. It's still negative, but either way, Let's say this is the truth. The people, they're very large. Okay, we got it. That's enough. We don't need to hear anything else about the people. God said he's going to take care of that. You don't need to worry about it. Take the brick from God. Put it in the home of your mind. We're all set. That's enough. In verse 32, they started spreading evil rumors saying we're not strong enough to attack. They're more powerful than we are. Here's what happened. It exaggerated. It started on they're very large, which is true. But then because they're large, now we assume that we're not strong enough and we assume they're more powerful than we are when it doesn't matter. Even if that's the truth, God said he was going to take care of it in the first place. And the scripture says evil rumors. Why does the scripture say evil? Let me tell you why. If God is holy, pure, pure and perfect and right, and he says something, anything that goes
goes against that is considered evil. It's the opposite of good, opposite of pure, holy, right, correct? So if God says the sky is pink and you say it's blue, what you said is evil. If God says this is a dog and you say it's a cat, what you said is evil because it's the opposite of what God said. And God said, I'm going to take care of it. You don't need to worry about it. Stop thinking about it. And they said, no, we're not strong enough. And immediately God said, that's an evil report. It gets worse. Numbers 13, 33. We saw giants and we're as small as grasshoppers compared to them. Now, if this statement was true and a grasshopper is three inches and the average person was about five and a half feet tall back then, that means that the giants were 120 feet tall, if you do the math. 120 feet tall giants is what they were saying, which is totally untrue and false and exaggeration. It gets worse. Numbers 14, 3, just five verses later. Did the Lord bring us to this land to die and for our wives and children to be kept? Yep, that's what God did. That's how it is. He loves you so much. He brought you here so you could die. And before you die, he wanted to make sure you see your wife and your children get captured. Yep, that's the God we serve. That's what he did. And people do this all the time. They went in there and they spied the land out for 40 days. I can imagine the first day they were like, those people are large. They started thinking about it. It grew in their garden. They said, you know what? We're not powerful enough to take them. Day 20. Day 30. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. Day 40. We're going to die and our wives and children are going to be captured. It was all going to be awful. <laughs> Do you know that, let me tell you, church, this, is, this is exactly what Satan does to get people away from church. Exactly. He always starts with a little thought. And if they don't recognize it's from Satan, if they don't reject the thought, it takes root. Because Satan's goal is for you to not serve the body of Christ. That's his number one goal. Because if you serve the body of Christ, you'll grow, you'll be a disciple, you'll help others get into, the, get into the kingdom of God. Your relationships will be better. You'll have more wisdom. On and on it goes. And Satan does not want you to serve this church. Um, there's, uh, years ago, we were doing some different things at church. And I had to go to a store to, to buy a bunch of material. And um, weeks after that, there was a church member that worked at that store. And um, they came and told me, they said, why did you steal from that store? And I said, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. They said, no, no, you stole a bunch of stuff from the store. I said, I didn't steal anything from the store. No, no, we, we got we got all the cameras. You stole. I said, listen, let me tell you something. If you say it one more time, I'm getting mad. I didn't steal nothing. So I go to the store and I say, listen, I talk to the manager, whoever the head of the whole thing. I said, there's an employee you have that says I stole something from the store. Can you tell me what's going on? They said, oh, we saw the camera. You were on your cell phone and the things you were buying were in boxes. And our clerk only rang up the box and not all the things inside the box. And so there were maybe, you know, four or five different things you didn't pay for. I said, let me pay for it. They said, no, 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 it was our fault. The clerks didn't ring it up. You take it. No, no, I said, listen, I'm paying for it no matter what. Whether you like it or not, I'm paying for it. We're paying for it. I pay for the stuff, and those, those people that had thought that, said they ended up leaving the church. And here's what I remember thinking. Satan never told them, your pastor stole. Never did that. Here's what Satan said. He probably said, your pastor's a little bit stingy with money. <laughs> he likes to save money at church. Or, you know, he's, you know, he's always real quick, or he's impatient, or he's done a little seed, and it grew weeks. If they had dealt with that thought immediately, if they had came to me, or whoever you're fit, immediately, you would have discovered it was a mishap, it was an accident, it was no big deal, but that's not what we do. We dwell on it, we talk about it, just like they did, we spread it to somebody else, and then somebody else, and do you know, out of two million people, only two people made it in the promised land. From that generation. Out of two million. Because let me tell you, negativity spreads way more than positivity. Exaggerations that are bad always spread more than exaggerations that are good. In Numbers 13.30, Joshua and Caleb silenced the people. They said, shut up. Stop it. Be quiet. Stop saying things. That are, those bricks don't belong to you. I hear 
have, let us go up at once and take the land. You know, after they said this, <laughs> the people had had their minds going in the wrong direction for so long and so big that they said, we want new pastors and we're going to stone the old ones. And only two people made it in the promised land of this two million. It was the two that had the right bricks. Now here's the biggest point of today, and then we're going to go to number three, but this is the biggest point. If you, if you take nothing else when you leave here, here's what you need to take. Their enemy was not Pharaoh. You know, if we could just get out of Pharaoh's hands, that's why life is so bad. And some of you think, if I could just get another job, my boss, my boss, my boss. The desert in Egypt was not their problem. If we could just get out of Egypt, we hate Egypt, we need to get to the promised land, Egypt so bad. A lot of you think, if I could just leave Myrtle Beach. Maybe you came here because you thought, if I could just leave where I was from. That's the problem. Here's the problem. Wherever you go, there you are. That's the problem. <laughs> that was a good country song, I think, back in the day. <laughs> Anyway, um, the giants were not their problem. Your circumstances are not your problem. God said, I'm going to take care of the enemy. The enemy's not your problem. Listen, their enemy was their own thoughts. That was their problem. The reason they didn't make it in the promised land, the reason you and I may not be fulfilled in an area of our life or not successful in an area of our life or not grow in an area of our life, it's not anybody else's fault. We choose the brick. The Bible did not say other people determine what happens. It says, as you think, so you will become. Number three, last point, replace. It's not just enough to recognize where the thought comes from. It's not just enough to reject the thought. You must replace the thought. The wrong thought, it will continue to bombard your mind until you replace it. Over and over and over, it'll bombard you. You have to replace it. You can't just reject it and get it out. It'll come back in until you replace it with something else. Um, years ago, my younger son, Asher, uh, he was born uh, with a, a tumor, um, a, a malformation underneath his brain and his spinal cord. Long story short, we were at MUSC for months, and they told us he was going to die. They said, we're going to try to do surgery, but if he survives the surgery, he'll be in a wheelchair the rest of his life, and he'll have a neck brace the rest of his life, if he survives. It was very easy for me to have the wrong bricks surrounding my house during that season of my life. Very easy. In fact, one time I remember doing a funeral, and um, I was walking to the back of the funeral home, one of my first funerals, and I saw these little caskets, and I thought the ones I was looking at were ones where they see if you want a real casket, you, you can see what kind you want kind of thing. But I discovered the casket that I was looking at was for a baby. And I'll never forget being at MUSC, in my imagination, I could see my child in the casket. I could visualize myself trying to tell my other children what happened to their sibling when he died. I visualize how I'm going to come back to church and be a pastor knowing that this miracle didn't happen for me and I have a child that died after just a few months of being alive. I, I, all these thoughts, the imagination was crazy. I knew it was from Satan. I rejected it every second, but just as quick as I rejected the thought, it's just as quick the next one would come from the enemy. Just as quick as I'd let it go would be another one over and over. So what was I to do? How was I to handle this? I ran over to the nurse's station. I don't even know why or how I was able to even have the, 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 the strength to do it. I said, give me all the paper you got. I want a permanent marker that won't leave a um, splinter on me. And I want a bunch of tape. And so thank God I had scripture memorized. Because there are times in your life where you don't have a Bible or you're not even going to pull it out on your phone. There are times where you're just going bombarded, crazy. The enemy's coming at you 90 miles an hour. There are times where you have to know the Word of God to be able to quote it out loud because the thoughts that are coming to your mind, there's no other option. 
And so I took every paper that I could and I wrote um, every scripture I could think of with Asher's name in it. God will give Asher long life and favor. The Lord's favor surrounds Asher's life. Asher is the apple of God's eye. God will continue to finish the work he started in Asher until the day is complete. Asher can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Every single scripture I could possibly think of, God's my witness. You couldn't even see the paint on the walls in the hospital room. You couldn't see the TV. You couldn't see where the toilet flush is at. It taped all over the entire thing. His bed was filled with scripture. And here's why. Not to be spiritual, not to be holy and look holier than that. Here's why. Because I couldn't control my mind. I couldn't. The only, everything I looked at had to be something from God's word because if it wasn't, it was going to be something straight from the enemy. Straight from the devil. I mean, it would have been, I was hearing the devil very, very clearly. There was no um, translation issues. I heard exactly what the devil was saying. Very clearly. I could quote what he was telling me in my mind. So I had to, on purpose, find God's word and get that going in my eyesight, get that going in my mind. I had to say it out loud. It wasn't enough just to look at it. I had to say it out loud. Joshua 1.8 says, If you meditate on God's word day and night, you will prosper and have good success. This is the answer to life. Listen, this answer to life. My question is, how can you meditate on this if you never open it up? How can you meditate on what God's Word says if you never read it? How can you meditate on it if you don't know it? How can you meditate on it if you don't take notes in church and learn Scripture and come to small group? How can you meditate on it if you don't have any kind of a devotion that you read? How are you going to do... How are you... You give me your way on how you're going to prosper and succeed. Tell me apart from this. Tell me how you can do it. Tell me. Give me anything. Well, I'm going to go to college. Uh, listen, the most brilliant minds in the world are not serving God and are filled with depression and discouragement. Well, I, I make a lot of money. The richest people in the world are committing suicide left and right. Tell me how you're going to prosper and succeed without using this scripture right here that says if you meditate on God's word, that's the answer. If I own an apartment complex and I rented half of those apartments out to law-abiding citizens who, who served and did good things for the community and they paid their taxes and paid their bills and on and on, and then the other half of the apartments where I rented out to murderers, thieves, drug dealers, liars, cheaters, sooner or later, all of the drug dealers and thieves, and sooner or later, they're going to run off all the good people. This is why you can't let any bricks from the enemy stay in your mind. It says in Philippians 4, 8, to fill your mind, not half of your mind, not three quarters, but fill it up with whatever's true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. In the apartment complex of your mind, it's not enough just to kick out all the drug dealers. You have to rent out that space to the right thoughts. Because the negative will always outweigh the positive. I can have a thousand people tell me how great Sunday was, love the sermon I was touched, but one person... This is, I didn't get that. I didn't like that. Or, no, 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 no. One thought, I can spend all week long thinking about that one thought. All week long. You have no idea the capability that your mind has to exaggerate the wrong things in life. You have to fill it up. It's not enough just to recognize. It's not enough just to reject it. You have to replace it. I was at a fine dining restaurant. I'm closing and saying, I was at a fine dining restaurant a while back and I love to talk to the waiters and waitresses. I always very friendly and caring conversations, and whether it's about their, their name or how long they've been there or, or things like that. I'm always talking to them. And um, 
And this one waiter was at my table, and, and I never tell him I'm a pastor. I just talk and be friendly, and, you know, then end, I always leave a good tip in my card. Because I always want them to know Christians are not, you know, they, think they do leave good tips. Anyway, and so, um, <laughs> just saying, not talking about y'all, but talking about the Baptist church down the street. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> I'm being serious. Okay, so, um, the waiter, the waiter came to me, and he said, um, he, we started talking back and forth, and we finally got to dessert. And he just sat the water pitcher on the table because at that time he asked me what I do for a living and I said, I'm a pastor. And he said to me, he said, man, my wife left me. I got my kids by myself. He says, I'm, I'm sick sometimes. I don't have health insurance. I don't know if I should move back up north. My family, I don't know if I should stay. I don't know what to do. And here's what he said. And I wrote it down. I quoted it. He said, I wake up every day filled with anxiety, fear, and depression. What do I do? I wake up every day filled with anxiety, depression, fear, what do I do? He was asking me for help. What do I do? So that's a very, very good question. I said, I'm going to tell you the answer, and I'm not telling you this because I'm a pastor. I said, you can study this psychologically, medically, spiritually, and this is the answer. Here's the answer. I said, you've got to get into a church where you understand what is being taught. You have to get into a church where you understand and can apply whatever the minister, he or she is preaching about. You have to be able to understand it and apply it. You have to get into a church. I said, number two, you have to serve. You have to get your mind off of yourself and your problems and the person that did you wrong and left you and what you don't have and get your mind on building something that is bigger than you called the kingdom of God. You got to serve. You got to get your mind off yourself. Every second that you're serving somebody else in your church is a second that you're not thinking about what the enemy's saying in your life. I said, number three, you got to get in some kind of Bible study. You got to take notes in church. You got to do something that on purpose has your mind filled up with the right things. Because the second that you sleep on it, the second that you kind of doze off in your mind, the second that you stop thinking about the right things, the wrong things are always going to pop in. So you got to, on purpose, put yourself in a place where your garden will grow the right type of fruit. You have to. I don't know if he did it or not, but I thought, man, I, I, I prayed for him right there at the restaurant. I thought, dude, you got to. You got to. Because it's, even your, your children, like your life, your future is at stake based on what it is you're thinking about. Last scripture is Malachi 3.16. It says, it's just, a, it's just a random scripture. It's just, it's just, I just found it. I don't, I don't really even know what's going on in this passage. I just love this scripture. It says, those who honored God spoke to one another. God listened in and he heard what they said. And it was written in a book of remembrance to be kept before God for all those who thought on his name. I can picture God up in heaven and he looks at the recording angel. He says, who are you writing about? The angel says, oh, almighty God, I am writing about those people down there at Solid Rock. Let me tell you, when they come to church, you are on their mind the entire time. They're not thinking about who offended them, who did them wrong, what they don't like. No, God, they can't stop thinking about how magnificent you are. God asked the angel, what are you doing now? He says, I'm still writing. The music started, and all they can think about is how amazing you've been in their life. They sing with their whole heart. They might not all sing on pitch, but God, the words are coming out. A little bit longer. God sees the angel just moving his hand as fast as he can. He says, who are you writing about? I'm still writing about the people at Solid Rock. The sermon started. They're taking notes. They're taking it all in. They can't stop trying to memorize the scripture. It's always in their mind. All they can think about is what you say about them, God. A few hours goes by. Sunday evening, you're getting ready for bed, and God says, angel, who are you writing about? The angel says, I'm still writing about the Solid Rockers. 
Before they go to bed, they read one scripture in their Bible to make sure they sleep on something from your word. Monday morning comes around. God says, I know who you're writing about. The angel says, you're right, God. It's those solid rockers. They're on the way to work. And thousands, if not millions of other people are anxious. They're depressed. They're fearful. But not those solid rockers. They're listening to music that glorifies and edifies your name. Even on the way to work, they can't stop thinking about you. A few more days goes by and you face some adversity. Somebody does you wrong. You're tempted to get depressed. So you boldly go to the throne where it says we can receive help in time of need. You say, God, I need you. God, it's Thursday. Things aren't right. I need your help in my life, God. So-and-so is doing me wrong. I'm worried about this. God, I need a touch from you. And God looks over the angel. Is that one of those? Yeah, that's one. Is that the one that's been meditating on my word day and night? That's the one. You tell them I have promised to bring them success and prosperity. If they will meditate on my word day and night. So angel, dispatch your strongest friends to take them the miracle that they need. My last word is this. Think about what you're thinking about. Tell me your thoughts. I will tell you.